The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians <clears throat> calls us to realize that um, being a disciple of Christ, being a follower of Christ, calls us to live with a very different way of thinking. And it, it may be a different way of thinking than we have inherited from the culture around us. We understand that. But sometimes it may be a different way of thinking than we picked up in church. Say if we've been around uh, a religious family or a religious group of people for a very long time. Because sometimes we can even miss the mark in our spiritual fellowships. Remember that Paul is writing to a group that is going to take pride in their spiritual abilities. They're going to take pride in their zeal that they have knowledge and wisdom and they have gifts and they have a lot to offer God. And Paul himself went through that transformation from having a zeal for the Lord, so much so that he was willing to, to persecute and destroy others. And then he discovered the mind of Christ. Um, we are taking this argument that runs through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 in pieces, and yet I encourage you to read through it as a whole in your own time and to read it aloud or listen to it online. But I want to pick up our reading right now at 2, 6. Um, and we're going to read through the first part of chapter 3. Remember that Paul has told them, that he, he's made this comparison between the way of the cross that is foolishness to the Greeks and it's scandal to the Jews. Uh, it's not understood by those who are perishing. But to them, it's the wisdom of God. And, and then he, he mentions that he himself, when he came... He didn't come with talent or power or ability or rhetoric, wonderful words, but instead he came simply with the foolish, see the, the air quotes, the foolish message of the cross. And he presented that. And uh, so he went, and, and again, his, his rationale, and he's drawing from the, the teachings of the Old Testament, his rationale is that in doing so, he's drawing on the rich tradition of God using those who the world would discard or disregard or look down upon because they, um, they don't have the, the training or the talent or the reputation or the background or, or whatever it may be. And so now in 2.6, he makes a, a, a pivot. He says, Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Okay, let's hit the pause button because I need to say something before I get into this reading. Um, this is one of the things I've discovered. I... Um, confess a little bit um, I have a problem with sarcasm and uh, I, I you know before it, before I could deal with it as a younger person boy I developed it really well and um, I always 
hated that. And then I find out that Paul's using a form of sarcasm here. Well, I'm not sure what to do with this. Pray for me. That's one thing I would say. See there, I just used a little bit of sarcasm. But, uh, but, but uh, Paul is using their language and kind of turning it upside down to make a point. Because if you read this at face value, what is Paul doing by saying we have a secret wisdom? That doesn't sound very healthy to me. And that ought to alarm us if we take that literally. The the idea that there's somehow secret wisdom or secret knowledge just for those who are the elites, just for those who are in the know, that somehow there is some... some, um, you know, some, some secret wisdom and secret learning for those who want to go further in the faith, that has done nothing throughout history except create problems. Later on in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, you'll see it with the Gnostics. And, and a Gnostic, or a Gnostic, if you see it, it'll have the G there. It, it comes from the word to know, meaning that they have secret knowledge. Well, the, the church is constantly reacting against this saying no that that that's not healthy the truth can be known and it can be known clearly seems to be the the uh, the gospel so why would paul suddenly talk about uh we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of god which god decreed before the ages for our glory why would he say that well because they We'll see later on as the, as the, as the uh, book develops. They are claiming to have some of that elite privilege or power or knowledge. And now he's sneaking this in and he goes, well, guess what? We do have a secret wisdom after all. And then he'll say it's not so secret. Okay. Um, it's a word play. He's using a word play. As, as it's, it's similar to what I, the move I made in the sermon this morning saying, you know, oh, here comes the offering right after communion. Didn't expect that. Well, of course, you know that I'm, I'm talking about our, co- our custom and our practice. And, oh, yeah, you know, we do expect that. Okay. So Paul's saying, oh, we, oh, yeah, we have secret knowledge. Now look what he said. We have secret knowledge, hidden wisdom of God, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. How can you decree something that's a hidden secret? He's saying, this is such a secret that God has shouted it everywhere. It's a word play. And, you know, and if this is hard to, to pick up on, we use language like this all the time, don't we? Um, you know, just today, some of us were sitting out there, and they had, somebody came in, I think David came in and said, how are you doing? The expression was heard finer than a frog's hair split four ways. Well, now, frogs don't have hair. That was a good one, by the way. And, uh, but see, but you know what that means, don't you? You know what that means. Because you know, well, now, okay, that's ridiculous. Or, you know, or by the skin of our teeth, you know. Oh, why, why? Well, you know what that means. Because you understand that that's a ridiculous statement, but you get it. When Paul is saying that this is a hidden wisdom decreed by God, he's, he's puncturing, he's, he's, popping, he's busting their bubble. He's puncturing the balloon. He's taking the air out of them. Oh, yeah, we've got this secret wisdom, so secret that everybody knows it. 
or they should know it rather he said none of the rulers of this so keep this in mind paul's tone as we read Uh, verse 8 none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him These things God has revealed. Now there's your secret. God revealed it. It's a secret. It's hidden. God revealed it. He's turning it upside down. These things God has revealed. He's made it known to us through the Spirit. Now, for those Corinthians who claim that they have special secret knowledge, Paul's going to tell them, well, if you have the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord then you're in on the secret. Oh, well, I want to get in on that. What do I have to do to get in on that? You get it from God. He gives it away freely. He's not keeping the secret. So this secret that we have is the secret that everybody knows. You know, another way to think of this is when we talk about things in the church or we talk about things in culture and we say, you know, I think this is the best kept secret in the church. And what we mean is it's standing right in front of us. It's something so obvious to us. And maybe we're taking it for granted. This is where Paul's coming from. Notice how God is going to be revealing all of this and we're going to receive it. Watch the verbs as we go through this. The Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You see, we could just get left hanging right there. And it's like, you know, oh, no one can understand God. Nope, nobody can understand God. No, God, you can't understand God. We can't understand God. But we're going to keep coming together and we're going to study even though we can never understand it. I understand that God is greater than us and that there are mysteries to plumb and there are things, there are depths there that we'll never get at. But Paul's point here, Paul's point right here is not, oh, it's hopeless. That's been the out of many a Bible teacher, and yes, I'm guilty of it. You, know, you get one of those questions, one of those zingers. You know, is God so powerful? Can he create a rock that even he can't lift? Well, you know, there's things that we'll never know. Some things we'll never know in this life. We'll just add that to the list of questions we're going to ask God in the afterlife. Well, that sounds good. Did absolutely nothing to further the class. What he's saying here is, he's saying, look, no one can understand the thoughts of God well, except the Spirit of God. Oh, And where's the Spirit of God? Well, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And guess what? God's revealed that Spirit to us. He's saying, you didn't earn a special place of privilege with the Master. You didn't earn a special place of privilege with the Creator. He has gifted you. He has graced you with this knowledge and this Spirit. And you've received it. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. If you receive mail in your mailbox, what did you do to put that mail there? Well, you might have had some action. Maybe you sent off for something or 
Maybe you got a refund and you did your taxes. But when you receive something, you are the passive recipient of that, of that action. You received it. We have received, just take out the, the negative, we have received the Spirit who is from God so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He says that's not the Spirit of the world. That's the Spirit that God shares and gives us. He's changing us. Now, I want to take you all the way back to 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. I'm sorry, 1-2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctified. We're justified, we're made right, and we get that. We're justified by grace. We didn't deserve it. God made us right. We did nothing to earn it. Yes, yes, yes. But then we're also sanctified. And sanctification is a transforming process in which God is making us into better human beings. He's not making us into superior human beings, uh, like something above humanity. He's not turning us into little gods. He's not turning us into little divine beings. No, that's what got us into this whole mess in the first place. Is, you know, there's Adam and Eve sitting in the garden thinking, hey, we'll cut out the middleman here. We'll take care of the garden. We'll be God, and we'll be the people who run the garden. God can, God can relax. Sounds like a good deal. No, it's not. He's turning us into the kind of human beings that we see embodied in Jesus Christ. That's sanctification, being made holy. God is giving us this spirit not so we can go to secret meetings and tell stories to each other and think that we're better than other people who just follow Jesus or who don't know the book or who don't know the rules. It's so that we can be more holy, so we can be mature, so that we can grow up. Hmm. And so we've received not that spirit from the world, which is where you get all that arrogance and haughtiness, and you know, but you might even dress it up in religious thinking. But we've received the Spirit who is from God so that we might understand the things, and notice the verb again, freely given. God's given this away. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Ah, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul's just used their language. And by the way, that's not a good stopping point. We're going to keep going, next four verses. But Paul has just used their language to make the point that, that, that whereas they think that maybe there's this sort of secret upper level of divine skill and ability that you can attain to, Paul says, oh yeah, the door's open to everyone who wants to get there. Uh, let me ask Dr. Cole a question. When you're doing the presentation on Pompeii, are you going to have information on the mystery cults? Do you have some of that? in? Okay. Check out between now and May 21st when, when uh, Dr. Cole gives us his presentation on the mystery cults. The mystery cults were big in Greco-Roman culture, and these were the, the kind of the secret organizations that you could join, and you got to learn the secret word, the secret handshake, all of the secret stuff. And it was the idea of a culture of those 
who were bound by certain secrets that you just didn't tell anybody, and it created an alliance of sorts. And sometimes it was considered you were the stewards of the mystery, and Paul is going to use that language as well. He's taking their language and instead saying, yeah, we're a mystery cult. We're a great big mystery cult, and everybody's welcome to join. You just get the spirit that God gives freely. I'll give you a for instance on how that works. Um, long time ago, far, far away, when I was at another place in another state, and I, uh, we, we had um, our custodian there, and, and she told me, she said, I'll tell you what y'all need. He goes, she goes, what y'all need to really enliven your worship is you need a choir. I said, oh, that's going to go over real well around here. And uh, I said, well, we do have a choir. She said, no, what? And I said, yes, we've got the biggest choir in town, all 300 and something of them, you know. And that's what we have to keep in mind. We've got a great big choir. It's all of us. Okay, that's what Paul's saying about their mystery cult. Their mystery cult is the fellowship. It's, it's all of them. And uh, this is where he's undermining this language that there's any kind of secret society or that people have special privileges that others don't. Because you go back and look, what were they doing? They were dividing up over who their teachers were. I am of Paul. Well, I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. And so you had different factions, and they were outdoing one another, and the prophets thought that they had wisdom and they thought they had a better solution than the tongue speakers do. And the tongue speakers who spoke in the mysterious heavenly languages thought that they had better revelation than the prophets did. And on and on it went. But Paul's dismantling all this. So he says, who has understood the mind of the Lord? And that's what they're all after is to know that secret mind of the Lord. And he says, well, we've got the mind of Christ. He says, we've been given that spirit. Now, if you continue on to, into verse, or chapter 3, he says, we have the mind of Christ, but I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And now, even now you're not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not just being human? What is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and the same. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He's now undermined this secret language of the, you know, of the wise and the enlightened and the superior and the elite and he's just turned it on him and said, you know, I'd like to talk to you about the mind of Christ, but I can't. I have to talk to you like infants. I want to, this is a commentary by Richard Hayes. I want to read it the way he puts it here because I don't think I can improve on this. He's describing what happens uh, at this point. 
In light of the discussion, we now know Paul's diagnosis of the problem that causes these divisions. The Corinthians are continuing to judge and act in accordance with the standards of this age. Now remember, we, we started out and we said that when we're called to be disciples of Christ, we are called to think differently. And yet sometimes, even in our churches, even in our religious fellowships, we can still adopt the thinking and the wisdom of this age. And we realize it, had, it has nothing at all to do with God. It has nothing at all to do with Christ. It's just a, a worldly wisdom. He says the Corinthians, this is Richard Hayes, he says the Corinthians have that problem. He says this leads inevitably to the recapitulation within the church of the world's boasting and the world's power struggles. This is the part I like. Paul delivers a splash of cold water on their faces which were burning with what they thought was supposed to be spiritual uh, fervor. Wake up, he says. Stop fighting with each other. You're acting like spoiled babies, not like people who have received the Spirit of God. I like that. I like that. It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for them. It's a wake-up call for us. And he just took the fight out of anybody who wanted to line up. You know, they had their reasons for saying, well, you know, Paul had secret knowledge. Apollos had special power. He had more rhetoric. You know, and he says, no. He says, you can't make this about me and Apollos. He says, all we are is servants. We're just workers. We're just agents through which you heard the gospel. And I'm telling you, you know, see, I, I don't ever... Paul wanted disciples who would stand, not disciples who, who would have to lean on him. I, I, I learned long ago, don't go into this if it's all about your ego. If it is, it, it's, just, it's all going to fail miserably. I, I, Paul is not going to let him, his name, or even Apollos, and you, you imagine that he knows Apollos well enough to know where Apollos stands on this. He says, look, we're just, we're just servants, and we're all involved in the master's project. And now he's going to mix his metaphors. He's going to use the metaphor of a garden, an agriculture metaphor, that they're, they're farmers, they're planting. And Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. Then he's going to switch over, and um, he's going to use the, the building analogy. And by the way, just as Paul used a little bit of sarcasm... Uh, I was always told, you know, don't mix your metaphors. Well, Paul the Apostle does it, so there you go. I mean, he's mixing metaphors, and doesn't seem to stop him, you know. But, well, he's Paul the Apostle. Hey, he's just a servant. Uh, so uh, he, he, he uses the building analogy. I'm, you know, putting down a foundation. Anybody else wants to build on it, their, their work has to prove worthy as well now here he's drawing in those who claim to be the leaders of the church and he says you know if you're going to build on the foundation that was put down then your work has to stand you can't blame the foundation your work has got to stand if the foundation has passed if the foundation is good anyone uh, verse 15 if anyone's work is burned up he'll suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only through the fire now the key verse is 16 and 17 do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you 
are that temple. Who has King James that they're reading out of right now? Who's got a, a King James on them? Yeah, for 16, do you not know that, what does it say? What does it say? Ye or thee? Ye, okay. I'm going to give, here's a little clue. You can always go back to King James. Ye is King James for y'all. Yeah. Now, if it said thee or thou, that'd be you. You right there. You, yeah, you, you, one, one of you, you know. But if you see ye, that's y'all. Now, Greek makes a difference between, you know, they got two different verbs. And old English used to do that. So, uh, you know, so if you ever see ye, that's plural. So he's saying, now later on, I know in chapter 6, he'll talk about our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit. But he says, you all are the temple of God. All of you. This isn't an individual. He says, this, this fellowship, this is the temple of God. And he says, no, don't tear down God's temple. God won't take kindly to that. And yet, what are they doing with their spiritual arrogance? They're tearing one another down. They're tearing it up. He's, that's why verses 16 and 17 are critical to his argument here. Now, now read it like that now. Don't you know that you all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you all? Aha! Now for those who claim that I've got the Spirit of God, but they don't, he's just said that God's Spirit dwells in the group, in you all. Well, how about that? And so, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you all are that holy temple. You all are holy. Go back to 1-2. The church of God in Corinth to those sanctified, made holy. So, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. Now notice 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Now do you remember in 1.18 he said uh, the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Okay. This cross doesn't make sense to that worldly wisdom out there. It just does not make sense. Here's a man who's shamed. Here's a man who's crucified. It's scandalous to those from the Jewish background who haven't accepted Christ. It's foolishness to Greeks who are looking for power, who are looking for strength. But to those of us who are being saved, being made holy, it's the wisdom of God. Now he's turned that around in 319. The wisdom of this world then, which glories and excels in power and intelligence and learning and education and and being better and, and skilled and talented. He says that wisdom out there is foolishness to God. This is the bookend of 118. For it is written... He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. And here he's talking about their rivalries with Paul, Apollos, and all that. For all things are yours. 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. He's brought them back to that which is so basic and so important and so well known that it's the secret that everybody should know because it's the secret that God has revealed clearly and plainly in Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll wrap it up right there. We'll pick up in, in chapter 4, which I, I really love chapter 4. We'll pick that up next week. Uh, we're going to sing this song. If anyone needs to partake of the communion, that has been prepared in room 100 for you. And then after this song, uh, Lee Peters will dismiss us in prayer.